Hey guys, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth coming at you from my closet in North Carolina. Hey guys, this is Christy uh, in my closet in St. Louis. How you doing, Beth? I'm doing good. Serial killer September. Story I two. know. Here we go, man. I mean, we're knee deep now, aren't we? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, so, you know... I was just thinking, too, that you always talk about um, that there are crazy people that always end up finding another crazy person that likes the same, like, sick and weird things. And you, you're like, how does that happen? How do these people find out that they love murder together? And, like, we are those people. That's us. We're the weird people that find each other. <laughs> it's very true. I mean, different level because we're just like to talk about it and listen to about listen to other podcasts and like read stuff. But yeah, it's definitely pretty similar. <laughs> we don't do the killing, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but yeah, we're weird. Yeah, and you yeah, guys and are weird. Thanks, thanks for joining um... us. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thanks for sticking with us <laughs> even after last week's. Um, but uh. I think that that's um no, I forgot I was gonna say I'm sorry, so just move on. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can just jump right in here. I think yeah. we can just give this all we got tonight and because yeah. I have the serial killer that I chose is a real, real he's a real weirdo. That's gonna be funny to you later because he's a real weirdo. And because other ones aren't just, you know, they're not weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you today about Edmund Kemper the third. Mm, the third. I didn't know A-K-A, that. A.K.A. The co-ed killer. Mm-hmm. Or the co-ed butcher. butcher. Those are his two little nicknames. That's what he gets monogrammed on his tumblers. Okay. <laughs> Is Piper okay. Lou Tumbers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just a quick rundown about him real quick. He is an American siller, serial killer, rapist, and necrophile. Mm-hmm. You know what that is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he has been convicted of murdering 10 people, with the majority of those people being young female college students. Which is what earned him the name of the co-ed killer. I don't know why they call female college students co-eds. I don't know either. I was just, they just don't thinking call that male as you said it. college students eds. <laughs> so I'm like, why are they called co-eds? <laughs> it's like the co-eds yeah, right? and the eds. What do they call male college students? I don't know, but I'm gonna look that up and maybe like at some point I'll uh I'll, oh, good. I'll interject during your break or something. <laughs> no, I should have looked it up too, but it was a side thought for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, some interesting things about Mr. Kemper. He is 6'9", 6 feet 9 inches tall, 285 pounds. And not and a basketball player. Heyday. No, he wasn't a basketball player. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and he has an IQ of 145 Holy cow. Right. So a genius level IQ is between 140 and 145. So he's at the top of that. Jeez. So he was a really, really 
smart cookie, this guy. Uh, During the time that he was committing all of his crimes, the majority of that time, just so that you can picture it in your head, you got a six foot nine, 285 pound smart guy who wore like the glasses, the dark glasses. Mm -hmm. And he had a real 70s mustache. Okay. Like one of the 70s mustaches that has the little space in between the two stashes. Yes. Real 70s. Okay. And he loves, loves giving interviews and talking about his crimes. So he is one of those type of serial killers who wants notoriety. Like Mm -hmm. he wants everybody to know what he did and why he did it and how he did it. And he likes that. And that's actually why we know so much about him and his crimes is because he he's he's like a tell-all. And also why he is so fascinating to me because mm-hmm. I just think that's crazy. So <clears throat> Edmund Emil Kemper III, or Ed, as he went by, and how I will henceforth call him, was born December 18th of 1948 in Burbank, California. He was the, he's a Sagittarius. Only you would know that. (laughs) Well, maybe not only you, but the two of us. (laughs) He was the middle child of Edmund Kemper II and Clarnell. Oh, that's a fascinating name. Clarnell Kemper. He had one older sister, Susan, and one younger sister, Alan Lee. Mm. And when he was born, he weighed 13 pounds. Whoa. I know. Ow. Right. So Ed the second dad was a World War II vet and his job or one of his jobs, I guess, while he was in the war was to test nuclear weapons. And after serving, he returned to California where he worked as an electrician. So there's not a lot known about his dad, but if we know what we know now about World War II vets, there's some baggage. Mm-hmm. Like very few of them came home unscathed from that war. So just a little side note about him, I feel like. Clarnell, his mama, was a real business. <laughs> like, there is no other way to say. She gets a lot of heat. In relation to this guy. She was super mean. She like hated men. I don't know why. I don't know if she had something in her past that made her hate men. Like what happened to her in her background. But she was really, really mean to Ed the second dad. And she would constantly like berate him and belittle him. She was really domineering and like controlling. She was constantly calling him stupid and just being critical. Like he could do no right by her. Like no matter Mm. what he did, it was, she was constantly complaining. And he is actually quoted as saying suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with her. I was just going to say, the guy probably went to war with PTSD and then came back with another form of it. (laughs) For real, like biznitch. Okay. So she was the same to Ed. It was, I don't, it's not ever reported that she was mean to the girls, the daughters, but she was really mean to the dad, really mean to Ed. And she actually had this thing where she refused to show 
Ed any affection for fear of turning him gay. I'm quoting that. Mm. Turning him gay. So she's just going to like berate the gay out of him, apparently. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But he wasn't gay. I mean, I don't know. So Because there was so many studies back then that if you loved your child, you turned them gay. Apparently. I don't know. (laughs) She was an alcoholic. It's later said that she probably suffered from like a mental illness, like borderline Mm -hmm. personality disorder. This wasn't ever diagnosed in her or anything like that. But people later, like knowing what they know about her now, they suspect this, which is, I feel like, not far off. So Ed was always a really big kid. And so he always felt kind of awkward and left out. And not to mention his mom literally showed him no affection, was constantly choosing the girls over him. So he like started out with a complex real quick. When he was nine in 1957, after years or forever of an unhappy marriage, (laughs) his parents divorced. Hmm. So Ed was very close with his dad and he idolized him. So he was like totally devastated when his parents separated. And then Clarnell moved him and his sisters from California away from his dad to Helena, Montana. Oh, wow. Which like, that's not real nice of the dad. Like he knows she's crazy and she's real mean to him. And he's just like letting her go off to Montana far away from him. So he felt he's probably like, she won't let me have him and I'll probably never win. So maybe, I don't know. So Ed felt really abandoned by his dad. And whenever the divorce happened and he was just alone, him and the sisters and Clarnell, her like abuse went next level. Like she hated him. She would say that he reminded her of his father not in a good way, and that no woman would ever love him. Mm. So she would actually, at nighttime, lock him in the basement and make him sleep in the basement. And when I say in the basement, this was like a trap door under their kitchen table. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he was literally locked in the basement at nighttime, and everybody else went upstairs to sleep. And he had like a cot and a blanket and one of those like light bulbs that swings from like a string, like really creepy. And he's nine at this time, oh my gosh. like a young oh. boy. She said that she did this because she didn't trust him to be loose in the house at night with his sisters. Loose. Yeah. Like, like a dog. <laughs> but do you know what though? She was, I mean, looking back, I feel like she probably had a basis for that. At the time, like, I don't think that was really something out of nowhere. Well, okay, but how much of it was caused by how awful she was to him for his entire life? Like, I mean, (laughs) it's true. Yeah. But um, so this is when she started calling him a real weirdo. (laughs) That's what she called him. You're a real weirdo. And called my kids weirdos you should watch it don't don't just don't lock them in the basement like Mm. maybe they'll come out okay she would constantly belittle him constantly choose the sisters over him and this instilled in him like a really huge resentment for women in general like not just for his mom but his sisters too because they were constantly they weren't getting treated the same that he was and he's young and he doesn't understand that plus his mama is really mean so at a really early age ed started showing concerning behaviors. I call them antisocial behaviors. 
but they were some real, real weird tendencies. When he was 10, he buried their pet cat alive and then dug it up, decapitated it, and put its head on a spike. And put it where? Do we know where he put that or just... I don't think he just kept it like in his room. Mm. I don't know. We don't know. He got pleasure from this knowing that he knew where the cat was. And his mom and sisters were like always like, gosh, what happened to our sweet cat? Mm. But he knew like I killed that cat. Fun fact. Cats. There's a little psych fact for you. Are a female symbol. Oh. Okay. So it's very interesting that he took out his childhood aggression on these cats. Mm -hmm. So he would play these like weird ritual games with his sisters where he would pretend to remove their hands and heads. Uh And he would also play games with them called gas chamber and electric chair. (laughs) Totally normal games for kids to play with each other. Go fish. (laughs) Guess who? School. Electric chair. We <laughs> cut your head off. It's pretty fun. I mean, cops and robbers. I guess it's not far off from cops and robbers. They just took it one step further. They actually executed. Oh, right. Yes. He would ask his younger sister to tie him up and pretend to flip an imaginary switch. And then he would writhe around on the floor pretending to like be poisoned by gas or being electrocuted. Hmm. It's also reported that he would cut off the heads of their dolls. This will be important later. When he was in second grade, okay, he snuck out of his house with a bayonet. With a what? A bayonet. Oh, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So it's like the Michonne from the Walking Dead thing. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought that's a machete. Oh, you're right. It is a machete. Isn't a bayonet like a gun with like a spike at the end or something? Yes, you're right. That's exactly what that is, I think. Okay. So he snuck out of his house with that went to his teacher's house and would watch her through the window. Yeah. Second okay. grade. So his older sister would tease him about this and be like, why don't you just kiss her? If you like her, why don't you just kiss her? And he would say, well, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why did he think that? <laughs> right. So when he was a child... He had two near-death experiences, one where his older sister, Susan, pushed him in front of a train, Uh and then another one where she pushed him in a pool, and he, like, legit almost drowned. So... Oh, my goodness. Susan doesn't sound super cool either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, she's twice, twice now tried to off her brother, the real weirdo. So this is just the tip of the iceberg from Mr. Ed. And I Mm -hmm. will tell you some more right after this break. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona. Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. All right, guys. We're back. 
Um, can I interrupt you for one second Do and it. let you know what co-ed means? Yes. <laughs> so the word co-ed was coined, I'm just reading this straight from um, the website, coined when colleges first began admitting women. The norm was the college students were male. So the word college student meant a male back in the day. Oh, wow. So then women, when they started, were co-eds. I guess it was easier hmm. to say it that way because anyway. So interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. So don't use the word now. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. <kind of laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah. Screw the patriarchy. Um, okay. So back to Ed, we are now going to fast forward to when Ed was 13. When he was 13, Ed killed another one of the family cats. The reason why he killed this cat, his report, is because it favored his younger sister over him. Mm. Mm. And he actually kept the, some pieces of the cat in his closet until Clarnell found them and made him throw them out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Red flag, Carnell. Red flag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Pieces Put of down a the dead bottle. animal. Call the psychiatrist. <laughs> Put down the bottle. I mean, Lordy. Okay. So by 13 or 14 years old, Ed was already 6'4". So like, you know, we know 14-year-olds, year old, this is a weird time for him. Like they're all real weirdos. Mm-hmm. at that time but I can't even imagine being so tall and going through all of this turmoil with his mom like not a good time so when he was 14 he ran away from his home and went to Van Nuys California to find his father oh, so okay. once he was 14, there, he was 14 wow yeah so once he was there he learned that his father had remarried and had a stepson and basically was like Sorry, dude. I have a new family. There's no room for you here. Oh, my goodness. So he did stay with him for a short time. But in further rejection by his dad, he sent him to live with his paternal grandparents. So dad sent him to live with his parents. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this was Ed Kemper I. So OG Ed. And Maude. Kemper. And they lived on a ranch in North Fork, California. Mm. Okay. So Ed hated it. He hated it because he felt like his dad didn't want him. And so that made him hate it. Plus he felt like he was living out in the woods with two old people, which he was. And he's 14 years old. So he immediately developed a hatred for his grandma Maud. So he basically just like let her take Clarnell's place in his mm-hmm. life. And he said she was constantly emasculating him and his grandpa and that his grandpa, poor guy, was just senile and just put up with it. Mm. So it was very obvious, I feel like, at this point to say that Ed, like he just has a problem with women. His mother, his sister, He feels like women are just mean to him. His mom has told him all his life that he would never be loved by a woman. He's had no affection from women ever in his entire life. So he feels like victimized by women Mm -hmm. just in general. So during the time that he was living with his grandparents on the ranch, he was still showing concerning behaviors, still being a real weirdo. 
He kept shooting birds and small animals on the ranch. Like for no reason. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like he had no reason to kill them. It's like you live on a ranch. You have a coyote. You got to shoot the coyote to save the other animals. This was not the case. He was just shooting them for like sport, for fun. Mm-hmm. So his grandparents were constantly like, stop shooting the birds. We're going to take your gun away from you. You need to stop. It's really weird. So on August 27th of 1964, this is when Ed was 15 years old. He was sitting at the kitchen table with Grandma Maud while Grandpa was out, like, shopping. And they started arguing about him shooting the birds. And she was saying, that's it. I'm taking your gun. You won't stop. It's ridiculous. You cannot be doing this. Ed just flipped a switch, got super enraged, grabbed a 22 caliber gun, and shot his grandma in the head at the kitchen table and in the back twice. Oh, man. He shot Three the times. old bird. He shot Maud. <laughs> he shot the old bird. <laughs> That's wrong. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're a real weirdo. <laughs> so when Grandpa returned, he met Grandpa in the driveway and shot him as well. Now, this is interesting. He says that he shot Grandma because, quote, I just wanted to see what it felt like to kill Grandma. But then he shot grandpa because he felt bad that he had killed his wife and he didn't want him to have to come into the house and see that his wife was dead. Oh my goodness. So he kills grandma out of like just callousness, sheer ugly hate. But then he kills grandpa because he's like being kind to him. Mm. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's not because he enjoyed killing grandma and was like, oh, I got to do this again, <laughs> according to him. Right. Right. According to him. That's right. Mm-hmm. So he actually ended up calling his mom and telling his mom what he did. And his mom's like, call the cops, dude. So he does. And the cops come and they take him in. And his crimes were deemed incomprehensible for a 15-year-old to commit. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> You guys can't see my face, but it's utter confusion because I don't, I mean, he's saying he did it, right? And he called yeah. the cops, but it's incomprehensible. Well, uh, is murdering anyone incomprehensible? Well, yeah. Like, except in a self-defense situation, like, this, this is pretty bad to do. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's what they said. So they handed him over to the California Youth Authority. And court psychiatrists diagnosed him as paranoid schizophrenic. So he was sent to Atascadera State Hospital, which is a maximum security facility for the criminally insane. And he underwent a bunch of testing while he was there, including the IQ test. So this is where they found out that he had the IQ of 145. And it was there that social workers and psychiatrists disagreed with the paranoid schizophrenic diagnosis. They observed that he didn't really have any of the qualities of a paranoid schizophrenic and that he was intelligent and introspective. And they re-diagnosed him with personality trait disturbances of the passive-aggressive type, which is like much less severe. These doctors loved him. 
Like they thought he was an endearing dude. That he was super smart. This is what's mm. crazy about this guy. He was a model prisoner and a model patient. He get, he's 15, remember. He is a kid. Mm-hmm. And he gained the trust and it, almost like the respect even of these, like of his doctors. Mm-hmm. Wild. And they trained him to administer psychiatric tests on other inmates. So he's like basically a practicing psychiatrist. Oh my goodness. As a kid in the mental hospital. They said that he was a good worker, that he took pride in his work, that, you know, he was just like top-notch guy. Like, oh, man, this this, is you know, this guy. Super similar to last week's John Wayne Gacy. Crazy, right? <laughs> it's always, they always get these big brains. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're always like so endearing or what i don't know okay so he later admitted that during this time he gained a lot of information that would help him understand how psychiatry works how these tests are administered he basically learned how to like manipulate the results of his own test results because he knew these things inside and out and he could tell him what they wanted to hear and He became a member of the U.S. Junior Chamber, which is a group that specializes in leadership training and civic, like, organizations. Mm -hmm. So he's like a little philanthropist, psychiatrist, like, all the things. While a kid (laughs) in a mental hospital for killing his grandparents. He actually, okay, this took me back. So he helped develop new scales on the Minnesota multifaceted personality test. So it's the MMPI inventory test. Mm -hmm. And this test is used for everything in like psychiatry and psychology when you are diagnosing a person of any type, any kind of person. You're like, you know how you take those tests online and they're like, learn your personality test. It's derived from this, Mm. this MMPI. And he helped develop the scales on it. (laughs) So like I literally learned when I was in school, I was educated partially by Edmund Kemper. <laughs> what? Explains oh. a lot. It does. I mean, it is crazy. <laughs> so, and this is during his formative years, right? So this is when he was in his late teens, early 20s. He was learning from criminals, learning psychiatry, learning civic duties and responsibilities, he actually said that he learned some things from the criminals that he used to like administer these tests on and lived with. And like one of the things that he comes back to a lot is that he learned to, that you have to kill a woman after raping her so that you don't leave a witness. Mm. So he's like, Oh yeah. Put that in the little, in the bank. So on his 21st birthday, which was in 1969, Ed was released from the mental hospital against all medical and mental health doctors, he was released back into the custody of Clarnell. Oh, Lord have mercy. They sent him back to his mama's. So it's like they learned nothing about him during the time he was there. Mm-hmm. And just let him go back to his mom. So at this time, his mom was working as an administrative assistant at the University of California in Santa Cruz. And Ed actually went during 
the time that he was living with her to a community college for a short time. He worked some small, like, menial jobs and, you know, just did what he had to do. And he actually started having this, like, obsession almost with wanting to be a police officer. How And he tried to be. But he was rejected because of his size. So remember, hmm. it, by this time, he's 6'9", 285 pounds, big dude. I don't really know why they would reject you for size. I don't, I don't think they do that now. Well, could he not – was he not able to, like, complete the physical maybe? Like, he couldn't run certain distance or maybe – I don't know. It just says he was rejected because of his size. Hmm. However, he did start to develop relationships with the Santa Cruz Police Department officers. He, like, legit hung out with these guys. Mm. Like, I'm not kidding you. He hung out with them. They nicknamed, nicknamed him Big Ed. And he was, like, a police groupie, basically. He would go to – there was, like, a local, like, cop bar that they would all hang out with called the Jury Room. And he would go and drink with them and hang out with them. And, like, he describes himself as, like, a friendly nuisance. Mm. So, like – they totally let him come and would hang out. Hey, Big Ed, how's it going? Come have a beer with us. Let's tell you about our crimes. It's reported that one cop actually gave him a training badge and handcuffs. <laughs> and yeah, and at this time, he even had a car that like looked like a police cruiser. So it's not uncommon for serial killers to want to be law enforcement or have like an obsession with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I think it's like the control thing for them. And also a lot of times they like to be close with police officers and investigators and detectives because if they're committing crimes, they want to know if like what they're saying about them because they like to hear about themselves. Mm -hmm. And then it also tells them too, like if they're close to a suspect and what, you know, evidence they have and stuff like that. Okay. So during this time, his relationship with his mom, with Clarnell, remained super toxic and super abusive, and neighbors reported overhearing arguments all the time, really loud, toxic, ugly arguments. And so he eventually saved enough money to move out, and he rented an apartment and lived with a roommate. But even then, his mom would, like, call him all the time and show up all the time unannounced and like she was still berating him and criticizing everything that he did and you're so stupid you're a real weirdo you know just it never stopped she could the the abuse never stopped mm -hmm. so eventually he was hired by the state of california division of highways so that's a good job you know mm -hmm. like a good decent job but that same year, he had a motorcycle and he was in a motorcycle accident and like really badly injured his arm in the accident. So he was not able to work anymore because of his injury. And he ended up receiving like a $15,000 settlement. So this is like back in the 70s, early mm -hmm. 70s. So he took the settlement. He bought a car. He bought a 1969 Ford Galaxy. And he ended up developing a hobby of picking up hitchhiking young women. Oh, here we go. And this is where Ed's story really starts. <laughs> and you're going to be so mad because you have to wait for part two to hear the rest. Oh, 
you know, I really hate that you're doing this to me right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Doesn't he sound I'm like super- a peach? He does sound like a peach. Sounds um, amazing. Amazingly smart and manipulative. Yeah. So I'm really excited about the next episode. And as the rest of you probably are as well. So you better tune in tomorrow because it will mm-hmm. drop. We're not waiting a week this time like last week. We're, we're doing two a week. Lucky you guys for all you lovers of crimes and closets out there. Thanks so much for continuing to listen to us and share us. We always say to like and subscribe and whatever, but share us. Share us with your friends. Tell your friends. We, you're listening. We got you. We got you hooked. <laughs> so <laughs> hook somebody else. And if you are listening for the first time, please like and subscribe. And feel free to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined. And listen again. Give us some feedback. We have an email address, crimesandclosets at gmail.com. We have a website you can go to and submit some feedback. Just hit us up on Instagram too, Facebook. Find us. Y'all can find Keep us. us. Yes, you can find us wherever. <laughs> search, search it up, as my kids say. <laughs> so anyways, and we look forward to meeting you in the closet again tomorrow. But just remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets. See you tomorrow, guys.